Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the Central New York Airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into the first episode of Former Fizz. I'm your host, Jaron May, and for the next couple weeks, I'll be running this interview series. Uh, you can listen to it on SoundCloud by searching Orange Fizz or on our website, orangefizz.net. And throughout this series, I'll be doing exactly what the name implies talking with former Fizz staff members about SU athletics while they were on the Hill. Uh, talking about teams, about players, and probably about Jim Beheim because he's been donning the orange for much longer than this website has been around and probably even the internet. Uh, but the series kicks off today with the founder of Orange Fizz, the, as he describes it on our website, the Vader to this Fizz Death Star and the host of CBS Sports Radio's The DA Show, Damon Amendolara. Or better known and easier to say as DA. DA, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm excited about this project. This should be a fun series. It should be fun, and let's get right into it. I don't want to date you, but I do need to tell the listeners when you were on campus. You were a student <laughs> at, at SU uh, from 1997 to 2001, graduated in 01. So that's the time frame that we're working with on this episode of Former Fizz. And let's get right into it. Let's start with football on that side of things. Who were some of the standout players you remember from when you were a student? My freshman and sophomore years coincided with Donovan McNabb's junior and senior year. So those first two years I had on campus were two amazing football seasons. Syracuse won the Big East in 1997, and they ended up going to the Orange Bowl that year, which is an amazing thing, or, or Fiesta Bowl, one of the two. And then the sophomore year that I was there as well, they went to the other one, the Orange Bowl. I believe it was Fiesta Bowl 97, Orange Bowl 98. So you're talking about really significant bowl games, especially in the 90s when before the bowl structure had blown up to the point where it is now, where you have six and six teams and so many bowl games you've never heard of, going to an Orange Bowl, going to a Fiesta Bowl were really big-time moments. And so those were the two best seasons when I was on campus where they're competing for the Big East or they're winning the Big East the infamous 66-13 game over Miami when they just throttled them Thanksgiving weekend to the Carrier Dome and McNabb couldn't be stopped. The One of my favorite moments, though, football-wise, was my senior year, which was the 2000 season, and that was when Michael Vick came to the Dome. Vick and the Virginia Tech, the Virginia Tech Hokies had played for the national championship game in 99, so they were coming off that national championship game appearance in 2000, came up to the Carrier Dome, Sold-out Carrier Dome. You couldn't hear yourself think. I was calling the game for WAER. And in the Dome, you know, of course, trying to s slow down Mike Vick indoors on artificial turf was a near impossibility. And right. on that day, Dwight Freeney, who ended up becoming a first-round draft pick of the Indianapolis Colts, one of the best pass rushers of his era in the NFL, right. hunt, hunted down Mike Vick. I think he had four and a half sacks that day. And it became this kind of mano-a-mano -mano battle between Vic and Freeney. So I'll never forget that game because Syracuse led late. Ultimately, Vic led the Hokies to a game-winning drive. But it was amazing to see Freeney at his peak trying to single-handedly stop the most uh, explosive and dangerous football player in the country at that point in time. It was one of the coolest, most amazing 
uh, football games that I'd ever seen in person and certainly uh, in a college setting. And I happened to be on the call as well for WAER. So that was a that was an amazing, amazing game to be part of. So you got to live through McNabb and Freeney. And right now as a student at Syracuse, I'm living through DeVito and I guess Alton Robinson would, <laughs> would what you would compare them to. Um, not the best comparison. So I'm just in awe. Like how good were McNabb and Freeney? And especially in college, we know what they did in the pros, but as they were developing as college players and you were watching them and analyzing them as a sports journalist, how great were they? They were amazing. Now, I, I don't know if we knew Dwight Freedy was going to be that good at the pros because Freedy was somewhat undersized. In college, he could get away with it. He was from Connecticut. So attending Syracuse, it wasn't like they got a five-star blue-chip kid from California or Florida. This was a regional kid that they, I think, molded and developed into the type of pass rusher he was. He was relatively small, but his quickness was amazing on the turf. McNabb was kind of a carryover of these glory years that Syracuse had in the 80s and 90s. And it's hard to it's hard now to to keep this in perspective or to have some context because of how far the program's fallen. But in the 80s, they're competing for a national championship in 1987. And for those Dick McPherson years between the late 80s, early 90s, when coach Paul Pascaloni take over. Now, I was part of this era of Syracuse football where it pivoted. And throughout the 90s, I mean, Syracuse is a 9-10 and 10 win team in a 12-game season, sometimes an 11-game season. So they were you know, preseason top 10, preseason top 15, preseason top 5 sometimes. And so coming off of Marvin Graves, Don McPherson, Donovan McNabb was the next great quarterback in that line, in that era. And Vic was supposed to be the guy to follow McNabb. During this time, they had great teams, great defense, and every year putting out first and second round NFL type talent. So throughout the 90s, I came in at the end of that era, as I mentioned, and they were competing and winning the Big East. But my junior year, things changed. Once McNabb left, they couldn't find the the replacement for him at quarterback. So they went through these uh, never-ending turnstile of very average QBs. I mean, Troy Noons, R.J. Anderson, um, a number of other guys that were fine, but they weren't all that good. And so Syracuse dropped off precipitously. I mean, they, they went from nine and ten win seasons to six win seasons or seven win seasons, which was fine. But, you know, you go to an Orange Bowl and then you follow that up with a Music City Bowl or you follow that up my senior year where we didn't go to a bowl game. And it's a really far drop off. So that was kind of the end of Pasqualoni's real elite talent recruiting and the kind of the, the peak years. And then the 2000s come and they become far more mediocre, which is why Pasqualoni gets fired, and they bring in Greg Robinson, who's the dumpster fire of all dumpster fires. <laughs> but, but on campus, as you might imagine, McNabb is, you know, a king amongst campus, and um, you know the quarterback on campus usually is the big man anyway. But to know that he was going to be a top three pick in the NFL draft as well meant that that was kind of the last vestige of the national championship contender type years i mean this is a syracuse team that went to ann arbor and beat michigan it was a team that had tennessee come in when tennessee was a national championship team and nearly beat the vols so they were also playing in really high profile games as well that had national championship expectations so you kind of listed it out fiesta bowl your freshman year they lost there to kansas state they lost in the orange bowl your sophomore year and then they had the drop off music city bowl and then no bowl your senior year 
So I assume it's going to be one of the first two years that you were at Syracuse. But my question for you is, of those four football seasons that you were on campus for, which do you think had the best team and the best roster and why? Definitely my sophomore year, that 98 team, because that was McNabb's final season on campus. And everybody knew he was going to be a really high draft pick in the NFL. Right. And so it was kind of like a polished product that McNabb was. And a, and a team that surrounded him that had a lot of NFL talent as well. Uh, Kevin Johnson was a NFL wide receiver that he, that he was throwing to regularly. Rob Conrad was on that team who had a long NFL career as a fullback. Uh, I believe Quentin Spotwood was on that team. Moreland Greenwood was on that team. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Donovan Darius and uh, to Bucky Jones. Th these are all NFL draft picks within the first three rounds. So, you just had a lot of guys that were on that roster that would go on to play in the NFL, and they were by far the best team in the Big East that year, and that funneled them into the Orange Bowl, where they ended up getting smacked around. But you know, still, they, they were a really good team. So it would definitely be that sophomore year um, that I was on campus, which would have been you know kind of the, the crowning season of the McNabb era. McNabb sounds absolutely fantastic, and I wish I was a part of that, but... Um... Now we have Tommy DeVito, and let's talk about a specific game, and you kind of alluded to it before um, about how Dwight Freeney was chasing down Michael Vick, but let's put that game aside since we've already talked about it. What do you think is the single best Syracuse football game you were able to experience during your time on the Hill? Well, you know, it's interesting because that game probably would have been it because, like I said, I, I've never seen another football game where it was a pass rusher versus a quarterback. <laughs> it's usually quarterback versus quarterback, but in this case, it was a pass rusher. So that mano a mano duel stands out forever. That season also, the University of Miami came to the Carrier Dome, and I was on the call for that one as well for WAER, and that was fascinating because in 2000, this was right before Miami became – the powerhouse national champions. They won in 01. Right. They would repeat in 02. But this is where they were starting to become a formidable foe after years that were down in the late 90s and some probation problems. So you had all these future NFL players that you knew were going to be great coming to the Carrier Dome. Ultimately, Miami would win that game as well. That was kind of the heartache of that season where they went 6-6. Six and six. They were in every game and they were close, but they just lost all these tight games late. So that was an excellent game to be in because you just knew, you know, there were players on that team that were going to go on to, to NFL superstardom. You know, in terms of a game that Syracuse won that I was part of, I was a fan of the stands of my sophomore year when they beat Virginia Tech as well in the quote unquote Stephen Brominski game. And this is where Syracuse trails late into the fourth quarter, one last gasp uh, corner of the end zone, and they run a rollout. And McNabb throws against his body, against the grain, all the way corner of the end zone and hits his tight end, Stephen Berminski. And the place just erupted. Fans ended up pouring onto the field. I was on the field as well. And the, the entire team got swallowed up. Now, rarely do you see the Carrier Dome have fans storm the field for a football game. But, you know, at this point in time, it, it happened. So that was probably the most incredible win that I happened to be at the Carrier Dome uh, or in person for. 
The only other time I can think about that, and most recently, was when Syracuse uh, upset number one Clemson and obviously stormed the field for that one as well. Um, now, flip side, so asked you about the single best Syracuse football game. What about the single worst or most disappointing game you witnessed as a student? That's a good question. <laughs> you know, in terms of what really, you know, took the wind out of our sails, um, as a program, losing that Miami game was kind of the swing game of that season for not making a bowl game. And at that point in time, you know, SU made a bowl game every year for years. So to not make a bowl game going 6-6, six and six, that was a brutal loss. But that year as well, I was in Cincinnati for WAER when they open up uh, early in the season. I don't know if it was the opening weekend, but it was early in September against the Bearcats and Syracuse loses that game on a last second field goal by Cincinnati. And that is a brutal loss because they're supposed to be beat Cincinnati. They're favored in that game. And as I mentioned before, they went six and six that year. Nowadays that would get you a bowl game. Then it did not. You had to be above 500. So that essentially effectively took them out of the bowl race, which was a crushing blow that early in the season to know Man, you let that get away. You can't. And I also happen to be in East Carolina, Greenville, East uh, North Carolina, for uh, Syracuse at ECU. And at that time, David Garrard, who ended up playing in the NFL, was the quarterback at ECU in a torrential downpour, which actually happened to be a hurricane down there. <laughs> they played they played the game at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, home of ECU. And it was such a driving rainstorm. Me and my broadcast partner, who ended up at, at CBS Sports, Andrew Catalan, who calls NFL games and college basketball games yeah. now, he and I have rain pouring on us because they put us in an outdoor press box because we, right. we were the overflow student media. Right. So our charts, our game notes, everything – Poor, I mean, just we couldn't see them. We could barely see the field. We're hoping we're not going to get electrocuted th through the uh, the equipment that we're using. And in this driving rainstorm on top of it, Syracuse loses to an ECU team that they really had no business losing to if the field was fine and if this was not, you know, not a, a hurricane condition. Wow. So that was just a brutal loss as well. As I mentioned, it was a season full in a game and then losing in heartbreaking fashion uh, to the tune of a six and six campaign. Wow. Well, that just does not sound fun at all. But let's uh, let's move on to a to a place where you don't really have to worry about rain. And let's talk about the Carrier Dome and some basketball. Um, and let's talk about basketball from '97 to '01. That's obviously Syracuse was not in the ACC. It was the Big East back then. What was Big East basketball like in having such a powerhouse of a conference for Syracuse to be a part of? Yeah, I'm I'm I try not to get too nostalgic or back in my day <laughs> type of uh, you know attitude, but the Big East was so special because there were so many schools so closely gathered around the East Coast. And so not only did you know fans or people in your family that rooted for other teams within the Big East, you went to high school or you grew up with kids that went to those schools as well. Now it's so different. It's hard for kids in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, upstate you know, New England or wherever to, to know a lot of people that went to Wake or know a lot of people that went to Florida State or something like that or Miami or NC State. But when you're competing against Seton Hall and Georgetown and UConn and Rutgers and Providence, 
you know, you know kids that went there, and that's what made that so significant. When the Big East tournament rolled around in New York City, it was this it was a bunch of fan bases that kind of looked alike and kind of felt so similar, even though, you know, you had West Virginia roll in and they certainly were different from Georgetown, but you know, you, you had the same part of the country and all the kids that played that the student athletes, the players were usually from the Northeast as well. So you had kids from DC, New York city, Boston, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, you know, all of these Philadelphia, they, they were all over these teams. So, you know, when when Seton Hall comes to town, there's a bunch of kids from Jersey and New York City that are playing on the team from Philly that want to beat Syracuse so bad because they wanted to be recruited by Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's kids that are playing at Villanova that got recruited by Syracuse and Villanova, and now this is their chance to go up against one of their high school teammates or an AAU teammate to try to beat them. So it was so cool because everybody was so familiar with one another and so geographically connected. You know, when we would go on road trips – it's two hours. It's four hours to Seton Hall, or it's four hours to BC, or it's six hours to Pitt, or something like that, or you know, or it's three hours to UConn. You're not going so far now. When you do a road trip in the ACC, you could be flying for three hours, and right. you know that's that's how long it takes to get to it. So, I think it was that proximity, and also the grittiness of teams from cities like Philly and DC and New York. That really made it, uh, you know, really made that 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 conference come alive. Yeah, I don't think there's ever going to be a conference like the former Big East that we see in college basketball. Competitive levels, I mean, AC the the current ACC is still very competitive and has great teams and a lot of talent, but. When you think about just how much hatred all of those schools had for each other in the former Big East, it was like nothing other, um, and you can't really compare it to anything. But uh, talking about Syracuse specifically, while they were in the Big East, they were a perennial top 25, I guess you could say. Most of the weeks and most of the years that you were on campus, they were in the AP polls here and there. Um, so what made those teams so good? What were some of the players that kind of stood out to you? Well, it was an interesting era because in the early nineties, Syracuse basketball had been nailed on probation for recruiting that happened in the late eighties. And so they, I think, and this is just my speculation, got out of the game of really high end recruiting talent, the the five-star kids that you had to battle against Georgetown and Villanova and UNC and, you know, those types of schools, I think they kind of got out of that um, and started recruiting, I thought, more projects. And so there were three players that were there for the bulk of my time at Syracuse, and that was Jason Hart, Etan Thomas, and Ryan Blackwell. Thomas and Hart ended up with really good NBA careers. They were never superstars or all-stars, but they played 10 or 11 years in the NBA. And... It was because I thought that Syracuse developed them as football, as basketball players, rather. You know, they, they came on a campus. They were not lightly regarded, but they weren't high-end recruits. And they, I thought Bayheim and that program allowed them to grow and grow and grow until they became polished athletes. And they were kind of, um, you know, they became really good basketball players more than just sheer athletes. And it was after that, into the early 2000s when they went after guys like Carmelo and then the series of one and dones 
where they jump back into the fray of the really high-end talent that was only there for a year or two years then would leave. And so we never got finished products since then, I thought, of so many Syracuse stars. I mean, how many times have guys left early and they just flame out in the NBA because even though they're drafted in the first round, they're just not good basketball players. They're not polished. They're not ready. The, the reverse was happening when I was in school in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was getting lightly recruited kids, develop, developing them into basketball players, and then they would have sustained NBA careers no matter where they were drafted. So that's kind of the the standpoint where, where I was at. And um, it was, as you said, it was a top 25 team. They were regularly ranked. They were never going to win a national championship. They were never going to be a Final Four team. The closest when I was on campus that they got was in 2000. They ran up into the Sweet 16 against the eventual uh, NCAA champions, the Michigan State Spartans. And that was um, that was Izzo's only national championship team. But they were so good and so loaded. Syracuse was a good team that year. They battled tooth and nail in that Sweet 16 game. But they weren't as good as Michigan State. I don't think they would have won a national championship. But that was probably the best team when I was on campus, that uh, that 2000 team. So talking about the NCAA tournament and March Madness, they made it there every single year. And you can't really say that about the Syracuse teams of present. It's really a bubble uh, first four in, maybe first four out type of conversation. But they were consistently in March Madness while you were on campus. So not talking as a sports journalist, DA, but instead of a just student uh, part of your life when you were on campus at Syracuse, what was it like as a, a student on campus? What did campus feel like? when the team was getting ready for the NCAA tournament and Selection Sunday came around and they got picked and then they were making that Sweet 16 run? It's pretty amazing. It's really enthralling and it energizes everybody because, you know, of course we all know that the Syracuse weather kind of keeps you indoors and keeps you beaten down. My junior year, I'll never forget this stat. Out of all the sports stats I've ever remembered, this is the one that will stick with me forever. It snowed 28 straight days my junior year on campus, okay? So <laughs> so it, did, it didn't mean every day there were 6 inches or 8 inches or 10 inches, but every day it snowed at least a little bit. 28 straight days of snow. So by the time you get to March, you're just dying to be outdoors. And so for that to coincide with March Madness, oh, you know, Syracuse is coming off of a Big East tournament every year, whether they lost in the first or second round or made it all the way to the final of the Big East tournament. March just represented such energy and excitement because – it started up warm weather, and it started up this kind of fun run through the weeks for college basketball. So it's interesting because those first two years, 97, 98, that I was there, Syracuse football was better than basketball. And then my final two years, my junior and senior year, basketball was better than football. Right. And so definitely selection Sundays, where they were going to be seated, who they were going to play, what was the bracket going to look like was a huge, huge deal. And, of course, when you work on campus for one of the student outlets, it is trying to set up travel plans and, uh, and try to do scheduling and everything like that. Yeah. All right, now I have a challenging question for you. Uh, if you could put together a starting five with, the, with only the players that you witnessed as a student at Syracuse from 97 to 01, what would that starting five be? Great question. I'd have to look back to see who specifically were on those rosters, but my 
initial answer would be the three guys that I mentioned before, Aton Thomas, Jason Hardiman, and Ryan Blackwell were really good college basketball players. Really, really good. Uh, we also had Damone Brown on campus when I was there, and Damone's kind of lost to history, but he was a kid out of Buffalo that was long and lean and was kind of Hakeem Warwick before Hakeem Warwick, and he would throw down alley-oops, and you just said, boy, this this guy, he's got ups. If he would ever completely commit to the game, he was phenomenal to watch. And I'd have to look at the point guards after Jason Hart left and the guard play. We, we had Alan Griffin there as well. Griff, of course, became an assistant coach. Um, and Griff was a really good college player and had a New Jersey kind of edge to him where you just knew in a big shot he wanted to take the shot and he was willing to take the shot and he would make it. So those would probably be off the top of my head, my, my starting five. But I have to kind of look back and see – um, who were the starting five all four of those years? Remember, you know, I got onto campus in uh, September of 97. In April of 96, they had gone to the national championship game and lost to Kentucky. So that was the John Wallace team that uh, kind of was a Cinderella to the final four. But most of those guys were already gone by the time that next basketball season that I was on campus, because that would have been two years after the final four. All right. Hey, that's a, I'll take that. That's, that's a solid answer. Uh, and before we wrap up here, I have one last question for you. Was Jim Beheim as grouchy back then as he is today? You know, in some ways I think he was even grouchier. <laughs> really? Okay? If, if that's, if that's possible, because <laughs> I, I do think toward the end of his career now, there's moments where he recognizes, you know, okay, I, I don't need to do this forever. So he's got a little bit more perspective. But yes, the, the easy answer is no matter how grouchy uh, anybody has ever thought he was at their press conference, he's been doing that for the better part of 40 years. <laughs> All right, well, there it is. A special thank you goes out to DA for joining me for the first edition of Former Fizz. And we now know that Jim Beheim was as grouchy back then as he is today. Um, and of course, DA, thank you so much for leading Orange Fizz for the countless amount of years now. You can follow him on Twitter at DA on CBS and listen to his show. A little plug for him from 6 to 10 a.m. Monday through Friday on CBS Radio. DA, thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Great job, man. I can't wait to hear the rest of the series. All right. That does it for the first edition of Former Fizz. Make sure you come back for future interviews and check out all of our content on orangefizz.net. But for now, I'm Jaron May saying thanks so much for tuning in. And of course, stay safe and healthy, everyone.